Welcome to On the Bench. We got part two of the What Happened with Willie podcast series. I'm Brendan Sinone. I got Josh Newberg, Chris Nee with me. Fellas, good morning. Uh, how's it going? Great. <laughs> yes. It's going great, Brendan. Good to I see already, you again. I already butchered the, the first intro to this, so I'm trying not to butcher the second one. I know, Josh, I don't have to say it. I'm apologizing up in front again, like last time, I think that was good for the the first episode. So uh, we're continuing our series with basically the the debacle that was the Willie Taggart era uh, at Florida State, and and really the last episode was about the twenty nine or twenty excuse me the twenty eighteen season, what went wrong with him, and and basically the management of the program, and and now we get into what I think is kind of the nitty gritty, and that's Willie's lone full off season at Florida State. And guys, it was a uh, well. Josh, I'll, I'll start with you to to get your general thoughts on it. It was uh, it was interesting and seemed really really unorganized. Yeah, there was a lot of it was very tumultuous. I think that would be the word I would use between recruiting, trying to find a quarterback, shuffling the deck there, uh, coaching, trying to replace certain coaches, trying to get rid of certain coaches. Uh, nothing went smooth, and certainly nothing went quickly. And that was something that we had seen kind of in, in the previous offseason when he had a, a truncated window to kind of put a staff together that things weren't smooth and, and didn't happen in a, in a quick, efficient manner. Uh, but it really gets magnified into the offseason. So we left off the last podcast after the UF game. Uh, it ends uh, basically four decades of, of bowl games for Florida State to, to lose that contest. Uh, you finish above or sorry, below 500. And after that game, there is tension in the locker room there is uh, frustration it spills over to the point where guys are pointing fingers and arguing and it's just it's not a good scene and there's just really no organization at the top to kind of control those emotions so and the days after this as florida state starts to evaluate what it needs under willie taggart and what willie starts to evaluate what he needs uh, one of the first things that that we're going to focus on here is quarterback it's a position that uh, did not help Florida State out at all in the way it was managed in year one under Willie Taggart. Uh, it was a position that he didn't get in his first recruiting cycle, which we kind of thought was fine because he didn't have a whole lot of time, wasn't able to get uh, Emory Jones and, and didn't really want to add Michael Penix at the time. So uh, they had all their eggs in one basket, and and that was Sam Howe. Uh, we, we touched on that a little bit in the last episode, but Christopher, I'm going to ask uh, for you to to kind of summarize the the Sam Howe recruitment up to this point, which, which was starting to kind of derail a little bit. Sam Howe was largely recruited by Walt Bell. That relationship for Florida State was Walt Bell. Willie Taggart did not develop a proper relationship with his future quarterback during that recruitment, and he allowed him to just be Walt Bell. So when Walt Bell packed his bags and walked out the door, Sam Howe's recruitment walked out the door with it. So it kind of left FSU just hanging in the wind, hoping for something. Willie had prior to about two weeks before the Walt Bell departure, tried to make some work there with Sam, tried to make work with Duke Howell, his father, who was very crucial in that recruitment. But it didn't matter. It was too far gone. New staff at UNC had gone all in on him, made him their priority, got him on campus. You know, we publicly know about, I think, two visits to UNC. I think the belief is that he made another visit beyond that. And it just it transpired that way. They were kind of the minute Walt Bell left the building, so did Sam Howell without ever showing up to the building. And for context, I think we had kind of believed that at least throughout the season, you know, when first Sam Howell commits, uh, Florida State picked him because they could have 
They could have basically had him. They could have had Tyson Fumichu, who goes to Clemson. Uh, and if they had maybe been more patient, they could have been in the mix for Jaden Daniels. That's correct. Like those were the three guys in play, and Sam Howell was the one that they were able to. They said, "But we'll take him." Right? Yeah. Tyson. Tyson mm-hmm. was on campus literally right around the time that Sam committed, and very much enjoyed his visit. And Jaden, along with his mother, came across the country for a visit. And if they kept pushing, probably would have come back for an official. So. Yeah, they were definitely in the mix with both of those guys. And so they decided that Sam Howell was going to be the guy they wanted to build around, which uh, made sense. He was a good fit for what Walt Bell wanted to do and and fit with what Willie wanted to do as well, which is run a lot of the RPO stuff and was comfortable in a spread system, had some mobility to his game. Uh, but like Chris said, we, we kind of start in, in as the recruiting process goes on into the season. You know, they got him in the offseason. They had him through the summer. Uh, it becomes clear. Do you guys remember when you first realized that Willie Taggart wasn't really all that involved in that recruitment? Because I remember we kept hearing whisk, whispers, and it didn't seem like it was a stable recruitment, mm. but it, it seemed like it came to a head. To me, like sometime in October, November, I think maybe November, we started realizing, like, hey, this is Walt Bell's show, and we knew Walt Bell wasn't happy, and things were starting to get really weird. Yeah, it yeah. started to coincide with the the times that we heard Walt Bell was unhappy, and I think we we kind of were connecting the dots that there wasn't a a relationship there that Walt Bell was spearheading this thing. And if he was to, we didn't know how he was going to walk out the door, but we were hearing there's a pretty good chance that he wasn't going to be back one way or another the following season. So we were kind of keeping an eye on that and trying to reach out um, to the Howells to find out who they were talking to. And the word we were getting back was, you know, they were they were talking to Walt Bell. And Walt Bell only. So we kind of knew that there was something going on there. And then uh, when after the Florida game, when the whispers really started turning into screams about Walt Bell potentially leaving, um, there was definitely a disconnect there between the Howell camp and the Florida State staff when you take Walt Bell out of that situation. Yeah, late November, early December, Don Callahan from our North Carolina site, you know, would hit me up regarding Sam Howell and it was fairly direct. It wasn't somebody speculating or kind of pitching a possibility. It was more, I think UNC is going to make a move and have a real chance here. And it played out that way. And I think UNC was ahead of the curve and understanding that Walt Bell was exiting stage left before Walt Bell exited stage left. All right. And, and around the same time, you know, as the season ends, we're taking inventory of what Florida state has at quarterback. Right. And, and we documented well, kind of the uh, uneasiness with going forward with Deandre Francois, that that didn't really work out very well for Florida state. And, and for a couple of reasons, but also the management of James Blackman and, and the staff really at the end of the season, what we were told is that they didn't want James Blackman to develop bad habits behind that offensive line that they were playing for a red shirt, but guys, that was not, from my understanding, that was not their plan going into the season. That just kind of, like other things, was was kind of flying by the seat of its pants where they weren't really sure how they wanted to, to go about handling the quarterback room in the 2018 season. So then we get into this offseason for the 2019 offseason. And DeAndre Francois, uh, basically his... The way they're using him or the way they want to plan to use him is up in the air as well at this point. Uh, they don't know if he's coming back. We're operating where we were told, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, we were told that DeAndre, they were expecting him to not come back. 
after yeah, the season they, ended, they right? They expected them to walk in December to graduate and to be able to transfer and potentially pursue that as well as other possibilities. Part of the issue is DeAndre Francois did walk in December, but he did not graduate. Uh, we can say this now, and I think we had alluded to it at the time on the message board that DeAndre Francois didn't have the credits necessary to end up graduating. I don't know if it was a class that he didn't pass, but he didn't have the, the credits necessary to graduate that semester. And he goes on and, and graduates. But uh, in the meantime, uh, there ends up being a uh, uh, an incident. And we've talked about that before, but it, it essentially ends DeAndre Francois' career at, at Florida State. But but initially, Florida State wasn't expecting him to come back. And and that gets us, I don't want to jump ahead to the whole transfer portal deal with, with James Blackman. Uh, let's finish up with the, the Sam Howe recruitment. Uh, Sam Howe basically goes to UNC, right, guys? And, and that leaves Florida State kind of scratching his head and not sure what it has really at quarterback. That brings us to the, the now infamous quote with Willie Taggart. Uh, well, sorry, no, that I'm jumping ahead here with the, the timeline of things. That was the early signing period they don't get Sam Howe. That then turned their attention to who? John Rice Plumley and Lance Legendry. Um, mm-hmm. Josh, legendary. How, legendary. Josh, how did how, those were the backup plans for for Sam Howell? Correct. Yeah. Yes, those were the backup plans for Sam Howell. Um, they had kept those guys warm to an extent uh, prior to Legendry. Legendry, they did. I think Legendry, they Plumlee did. Was late. Yes, they kind of cold called him, and and that's what you get. Um, they could have probably taken a commitment from Lance early on. I know he was interested. I understand why they didn't, but at the time, you know, it wouldn't have been a bad thing to take two quarterbacks. The the staff always kind of showed a uh, tendency to hedge their bets on that second quarterback and not piss off the first one. So. Again, it kind of came back to haunt them with the Sam Howell thing because they didn't exactly have a QB just waiting in the wings ready to go. Um, as you see, it played out, and uh, I mean, we all know by now, but they didn't end up signing one. And it they was, did not. It was, weird how, sorry, ahead, it was weird how they recruited Lance and John because it was like Lance was a guy that felt like they were in the pace car for. And John was a guy that kind of jumped in late and they tried to turn him into almost a golden child. And John, I like John a lot. That John was the kind of kid you could build around, a good leader, excellent athlete, also a good baseball player who could play both sports. So I kind of understood the liking of him. Plus, Lance had some academic concerns. But, like, when you got one that really, really likes you, close the deal on that one before you move on to the other one. They didn't do that. They left them both open-ended. And I wonder in the end if the way they pursued John turned Lance off and led to Loxley being able to pull that one off. When Sam Howell, when they lost Sam Howell in the early signing period and they started to turn their attention to the two guys that you're you're talking about, uh, I was told by someone on staff that it could be a quote-unquote blessing in disguise losing Sam Howell. Uh, They were excited about John Reese Plumley and – and I think that's the guy they really, really were were interested in, especially where they're starting to kind of be uh, believe that Kendall Bryles was going to be the guy to come in and, and run the offense to replace Walt Bell. Uh, unfortunately, uh, obviously doesn't happen. But but part of the plan too that had FSU excited was they thought they had a legitimate chance at adding uh, transfers because again at this point DeAndre Francois they're not expecting him back. They have James Blackman. They like James. They don't love James. That's clear. Time and time again, based on how Willie Taggart's handling 
uh, James Blackman. Uh, the two guys that they're looking at that they think they have a chance with, Jalen Hurts is one of them from Alabama at this time, and, uh, and Justin Fields from Georgia at this time. Uh, both of those guys we know end up going to uh, Oklahoma for Jalen Hurts and, and Ohio State for Justin Fields and have awesome, awesome seasons. Both of them do. Yeah, I uh, think they were, there is more optimism there with Jalen Hurts. I'm not quite sure what they thought was going to happen with Fields. Um, oh no, man! They thought they were, dude. They thought they were getting both of them at one point. They thought this was before everyone was getting waivers. They thought they'd get yeah. Justin Fields to come in and, and redshirt, and they thought that just uh, Jalen Hurts would be the. Uh, I'm confident in this. They thought J- J- Jalen Hurts would be the one year fix for them, and then Justin Fields would be the future. But you were confident that they were like Willie was meeting with with Jalen Hurts representation like as soon as the season ended, right? Yeah, yeah. There was some there was some contact with his father, and um, you know there was there was definitely communication there. But I think Hurts and Fields, well, Fields I think knew where he's going from the get go. But at least Hurts was kind of you know feeling out the landscape, like who who's there? What are my options? I got one year to make a run at this thing. Where am I going to go? And I think that the staff may have interpreted that communication as optimism for him going to ultimately sign there. And I don't think Hertz really gave FSU too much consideration in, in, you know, when it came down to picking an actual school, we learned valuable lessons about newfound transfer portal too with quarterback recruiting in that sense is that guys are going to go sort of to what makes the most sense, best case scenario. And FSU certainly was not that. Yeah, if you remember the first year and what that offense looked like, it also, like Chris said, coincided with the portal. We weren't sure, but it, at the end of the day, those those kids that are leaving the top quarterbacks, they're, they have one year to go. They don't want to go to a situation that's a full-on rebuild. They want to go somewhere where it's kind of plug-and-play and they can take that team to the next level, not, not a, a rebuild. So that was a miscalculation because Florida State legitimately thought it could get both of those guys, or at least one of, and and put a lot of time and energy into recruiting them kind of behind behind the scenes. And I'm talking about the transfers. Obviously, that doesn't work out uh, because it was so public, because they made their intentions known through through back channels. Uh, you know, Again, DeAndre Francois is kind of up in the air at that point. I think it's clear he's probably coming back. Uh, at, and James Blackman kind of starts wondering about his place because FSU's continually trying to recruit his replacement at this point. And James Blackman goes ahead and starts exploring the possibility of entering the transfer portal. He goes ahead and and submits paperwork to enter the transfer portal. uh, As we learn and and learn through that being all of our first uh, foray into the transfer portal is you have a 48 hour window to take your name out of, uh, out of the database before it actually shows up in there. So that's what he does. In that meantime, uh, we reported, I reported that James Blackman has entered the transfer portal. Semantics, he, he did submit his name to enter the transfer portal. Uh, Josh, you want to share, I guess, what what happened in between that time after I reported the story? Yeah, that was crazy. So this kind of goes on the backs of uh, how we ended the first episode. Um, I wrote that article the week of the UF game. And got a call from Coach Taggart saying everything in there was false. Um, in the at the end of the last episode, I went over the the points that I made in there, and obviously they've they've all come to fruition. Um, and then I, I I and let me recap some things because I saw some comments that um, people thought that like Coach Taggart was my sole source and all this, and this is what happens when you have one source. But that's not actually the case. 
I wrote that article all based on um, hearing things from other people. See, when things are coming out of the program, when things are going bad in the program, they have a fi- they have a way of finding me. In these situations, I wrote that article based on um, phone calls or texts that I got from from current players on the team, um, players' parents, coaches on the team. Um, when when things are going in in a bad direction, everybody knows it. Word starts to leak out. So. It was the week of the UF game. FSU was playing terribly. I wrote this article based on things that I'd heard from outside sources. I didn't think I needed to call Willie Taggart the week of the UF game to bother him about things that you know I felt were were definitely true going on in the program. Um, so I just I just didn't think to bother him that week. Um, I didn't think he'd want to talk about those things. So afterwards is when I got the phone call um, and. He told me to use him as a source. I'll never be wrong. All this other stuff. So long story short, Brendan writes an article on James Blackman about to enter the portal. I'm a, I'm about to walk into acupuncture of all places. And I get a call from, from Taggart and he's undressing me up and down, you know, cussing at me all this. And I'm just like, what? And, and I, I forgot that you had written the Blackman story. So, um, I told him that, you know, caught me off guard. I told him that you wrote it and that you felt confident in writing it. I said, I don't know who your sources were, but I know that, you know, you wouldn't write something that you're not confident in. And I'm, I'm pretty certain James Blackman's going in the portal. And he tried to tell me that it was untrue that, you know, and he was out on the road recruiting. So I think it just caught him off guard. He was upset about the fact that James Blackman was going in the portal. Um, he got off the road immediately and went right back to, to Tallahassee to sit down with James Blackman. Correct, Brendan? At this point? That, that is correct. I don't know the exact timeline of when he, he got back. We knew he was on the road from your conversation with him. I knew that a conversation in person with James happened between the time James submitted his name to go into the transfer portal. Right. And, and by and the I time that went the morning, ended. Brendan got a text as James Blackman walked out of the office after submitting his, um, his name into the portal, Brendan got a text saying that, okay, it's done, run it. Cause they didn't want us to run it until he had actually done it. And then once you do it, you get 48 hours. Is it 48 or 24? 48 is my understanding. So it's 48 hours to pull your name out or not. And, you know, considering Taggart thought that this was all fake news and a lie, Uh, He got back to Tallahassee so quickly and was able to sit down with James and talk James out of it. Um, Had we not put the story out, there's no, I mean, Taggart was on the road recruiting. There's no way he would have known James Blackman had entered his name in the portal. He he did not. It's it's one of those things that if the story probably, you know, if I don't write the story, the story ends up happening. Does that make sense? It's kind of a weird, a weird deal uh, and a a learning point in, in journalism for all of us, for me specifically. Uh, so yeah, thank you. Should have got a thank you to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I understand. I mean, I think he was just caught off guard. He didn't want it to happen. I think, um, there was some feeling maybe us not reporting it means that it's not happening. Um, but in the end, if we hadn't, if we hadn't tipped this off and you know, the 48 hour window passed, he would have James Blackman's name would have been in the transfer portal. Probably. We don't know that for sure, but it, it certainly makes sense with the dots that we, we can connect. Yeah. Cause we were able to confirm that, that there was a conversation that was had and, and things were kind of smoothed over. And obviously James Blackman stays. Um, 
in the meantime. So and Chris is having to kind of hold my hand emotionally the, the entire time as, as well. While that's all, all happening. Um, so, so yeah, anyways, the, uh, the quarterback recruiting, uh, as this is happening, James Blackman stays, that gets smoothed over. Uh, Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts go to their destinations. It's not Florida State. Meanwhile, DeAndre Francois uh, returns to Florida State for another semester. Uh, we're not sure exactly what that means for the future of the quarterback room at the time. Uh, but then there's an incident, as mentioned earlier, with DeAndre Francois. He is dismissed from, from Florida State. Uh, that's in early February. Uh, we get to National Signing Day. And Florida State does not land Lance Legendre. He goes to Maryland. John Reese Plumley goes to Ole Miss. That brings us to the infamous. So FSU goes uh, 0-4 at quarterback. It's basically the first. They're the lone program in all Power Five football to go two recruiting classes without signing a prep quarterback. It's something that just it's unprecedented. Uh, extremely rare to have that happen in back-to-back classes. And Willie Taggart's asked about his, his plan at quarterback uh, during the National Sign Day press conference. And, and here's the quote. We have a plan, I think a pretty good plan. I don't necessarily want to discuss it right now, but I think we have a pretty good plan of where we want to go. Uh, he goes on to say, we've had this plan in place, and after today we executed it, and we've got to continue to grow and be more adept at the position, obviously. I think when you look at the transfer portal and the grad transfer portal, there's always options for us, but I think it's more important to get the right kind of guy, especially at the position and not just to go get anybody That is on February 6th. Uh, When did Alex Hornerbrook enter the transfer portal? I don't know, but he visited FSU during spring practice. And I I think think he he entered essentially – a month prior to his visit. Basically. I think I, uh, it could be, I, you're right on that, Chris. And I think he may have entered the portal a day or two after those comments. Uh, in hindsight, guys, do we believe there was a legitimate plan, like a player in mind at that time when those comments were made? I was told when those comments were made, the plan, or at least the first name in the plan was a kid at Virginia tech. Whose name is escaping me off the top of my head. Josh who, Jackson. Who, yes. Josh Jackson who he, he himself was not particularly well-liked within the program he was leaving and supposedly had issues. So I felt like we were going from one DeAndre to another DeAndre. made no sense to me. But that was the name I was given that day because I specifically asked that day. Alex Hornibrook's name didn't come up till several weeks later and obviously got hot and heavy when him, his father, and his brother showed up to that spring practice. And uh, you knew it was on. And Alex Hornibrook was that plan. Like we're supposed to try to believe that 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 is up there with one of the greatest lies I've ever been told in my life. A guy who really doesn't fit what Willie Taggart wants to do schematically that Kendall Bryles. And you know, it's a funny thing too. I'm being told when they're looking at quarterbacks, like it has to be a mobile quarterback. We need someone who can run this offense and does what Kendall wants to do uh, with the option stuff and the ability to move the pocket has to be a mobile quarterback. And they bring in Alex Hornerbrook. A guy who set the FSU sack record in a single game because he's an immobile statue. So things are starting to get weird at this point, right? <laughs> we're, we're at a oh, point they, with they were, this, already, they were already weird. The, the chains were off the door and the, the animals were unleashed on the whole. These things aren't working out before that signing day. You got to remember, signing day also was no offensive skill players. Truly a marvelous act to pull that one off. Oh no, they had the one, the one. Tightly wound wide receiver at the time, right? To be fair, 
I can't remember his name. The tall guy who played baseball that was Oh, Goolsby. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but we are. I mean, we knew this. We knew what yeah. time it was with Goolsby. Yeah. So, and even that, even that whole recruitment was weird, right? Josh, well, we told, was, well, we were told during the summer that he wasn't going to. Don't worry, he's not going to sign with the program. <laughs> and we were kind of hesitant to pull him off the commit list, so we we leave him on, and and things just start dragging on, and he's not, you know, and and now we we're touch, touching back with the staff, and there's kind of no answer on what they're going to do with Goolsby, so. We just stopped asking because the season had gone so poorly and we're just like, you know what, let's wait till the end of the season and let's go see if they, they visit him because if they're going to use their time and resource to visit him, you know, it'd, it'd be weird if they go see him because they've told us they're not. And sure enough, Mark Snyder's going down to see him, going down to see him. Um, I was told not from Mark Snyder, from an anonymous source that was in those meetings that Mark would kind of come in every week. Cause that was Mark Snyder's territory. He's not a wide receiver coach and all that. So he just wants to know he'd come in and be like, what are we doing with Goolsby? And in these recruiting meetings, his, he said, Mark would answer and somehow, no matter how he asked it, the question would never get answered. And he said, eventually Mark just stopped asking, what are we doing with Goolsby and just started going to visit him. So there was really no decision ever made on even though they knew he wasn't going to make it in academically, I don't know why they kept him around on the commit list. I'm, I'm throwing my hands in the air. No, Chris said it well. Things kind of were off the rails at this point, uh, but it gets more. And when I say weird, uh, clearly there's not a, a cohesive plan. There are all sorts of uh, there are all sorts of issues kind of being unearthed right now. And where it gets even weirder in my mind is is our relationship, our working relationship as a website with Florida State and, and Willie Taggart. And uh, ironic, I guess, that we're doing this on a podcast because Josh and I did a podcast at some point. I can't remember. It was in the off season, and it was talking about the disorganization on the recruiting trail. And I had kind of talked about some of the issues Chris and I had seen on the football field in practices uh and voice concern about those things and josh now getting into the the meat of helping covering recruiting with chris is starting to kind of see those same warts emerge and and basically josh you said something amongst the lines of, of you seeing disorganization with the recruiting trail uh and that gets back to willie taggart my understanding is it got played in the living room it got to willie taggart because it got played in the living room of a recruit by an opposing coach i was uh, told it was by georgia Okay, so so by, by Georgia, um, it's it wow. Kirby out there. Yeah, I did not know that. So so that get, that makes the which is crazy to me that people are listening to the podcast and using it like in that sort of way. Uh, which uh, whatever. All's fair um, in love and recruiting. I guess so. Uh, so it gets back to Willie, and this is coming after a really tumultuous time with you and him in terms of trying to get things confirmed. Do you want, I'll let you well, yeah, this kind of back talk all the way through back what to you talked about, but there there's talked about there's the things in terms of, too. yeah, there's t- things in terms of you filling in the, filling in the gaps and connecting dots with trying to, you know, with beyond the recruiting stuff, we're talking about the, the hiring of staff and yeah. Kendall yeah, Bryles and Randy Clements. So go, go for it, man. I got it. Yeah. So when I covered, I covered the Jimbo Fisher era from the time he started until he left. That was my time when I joined Knowles 24-7 from 2010 to 2017. And not one time – I did a great job of re- reporting, recruiting, breaking news, coaching search stuff, all this. And not one time 
during that seven years did I confirm or talk to Jimbo Fisher. Not one time. I didn't need Jimbo Fisher as a source. I can completely cover the program and do a great job without talking to Jimbo Fisher or needing him. Um, I felt the same way about FSU under Coach Taggart. Even though I knew Coach Taggart, I know I don't need to talk to Coach Taggart to, to do a great job reporting. Um, but after that conversation I had with him, we decided, we were okay, I'm going to work with him, see what that means. So the James Blackman stuff happens. Um, he calls us out on it and says, we're wrong. We're right. Um, there's something going on with Adonis Thomas. I was told that he was going to be entering the portal and transferring out of the program for sure. Uh, basically, you know, he was kind of kicked off the team, um, postseason. He, and Adonis ended up putting his name in and pulling it right back out. He did not transfer. So I was wrong on that. Um, then I was told emphatically that brought Kendall Bryles was coming by himself and I'm not just saying once or twice, but I was told over the course of probably like 10 or 14 days that it was Bryles and Bryles only. Um, I was kind of adamant. I was at, I, I doubled down on the message boards and, oh, you know, sorry, go, go ahead. Chris is waving his hand. Sorry. Okay. Well, I was just, I was just going to add to Josh's point here is we as a group were like, no way he's coming by himself. We mm-hmm. expected Randy to come with him. We thought Randy was coming with him. Josh asked about Randy specifically by name coming with him made the point of Kendall tends to come with his O-line coach. Just to add that to Josh's point. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, and I even, you know, screenshot, I think there was a Chris Lowe from ESPN had reported, you know, Kendall Bryles is coming with, or uh, Randy Clements is coming with Kendall Bryles, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know, screenshot it and said, you know, ESPN reporting this. Like, it's not, it's not happening. Nope. Um, so obviously that wasn't true. <laughs> Then we had the Ron Dugans. Ron Dugans comes back into play. Um, and I knew Ron Dugans had, had been in contact and reached out to FSU, and there was some talks going on. So I try to confirm it before I report it. And I'm led to believe that Coach Taggart doesn't even know that Dugans is has been let go from Miami or, or is available. And I'm checking back with him and saying that there's reports out, and he's like, He's snapping back at me. Well, what are people making hires without my knowledge? Like this is, you know, laughing it off. Um, and it was really weird. So I'm relaying this mess, this stuff to Chris. And I think at this point, like we just weren't reporting anything, but in the meantime, there were reports out there that were getting out, that were factual, that were, um, happening. And for the first time, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm chasing the news for the first time in my 10 years covering Florida state. And it's all happening because I'm talking to Coach Taggart, and it and it shouldn't be that way, you know. It should this should be the easy way. And I've never, I don't think that there was like a five or six week period where I was just missing on everything, and it was all coming from from Coach Taggart, and it was really weird for me to be like, you know, I I just agreed to almost for lack of a better term like this treaty with him. And here I am now for the first time in my career, just missing on everything. So it, it was weird. And, and at that point I decided that, you know, I'm going to go back to my old ways and, and not rely on the head coach as a source anymore. And the issue kind of dovetailing off that to me is, is not that the problem that I have is, is if a coach doesn't want to give us information, that's fine. If a coach doesn't like working with one of us or all of us, like that's their prerogative. I think we're all pretty easy to work with. And if we get something wrong, 
we will admit it. We're willing to learn, willing to adjust. Uh, and if a coach wants Man, to say, I, I can't comment that deep. I think, look, I think, but, 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 hey, wait, let me, let me finish. Just get it, get it. Uh, what I want to get to is that if you want to tell us, like, I don't want to comment on this or I'm not comfortable with it, that's completely fine. That's within your right. Uh, we'll try to figure out something to confirm it through other means. Uh, but to mislead and to lie is, is at least to me where I started, uh, that just, that added frustration to, to what was already a very turbulent and like unclear and, and uneasy way of covering the program because we never knew what was happening. It was always just kind of flying around and, and tough to, to tie down. I'll be yeah. perfectly honest. I'm a vindictive person. If you lie to me, it's gloves <laughs> off and I'm going to get you. Like I know enough people. I've done this long enough. I've been around this program for two decades. If you're going to lie to me, you better win a hell of a lot of games, be really good at your job, or you've already created a situation for yourself where when things go wrong or you do something incorrect or there's something to report on that may be detrimental directly to you, well, I don't think I'm going to think twice about doing it. And that, that may sound wrong and it may make me look petty. I don't really care. He created that situation by lying to us, and I'm not yeah. here for it. Yeah, um, I don't take it as that. I kind of take it as more of, um, you know, in coming from his perspective, I feel like he was just trying to bail. You know, he had water coming in this boat and he's just trying to bail it out with a bucket and more and more water's coming in. And I think there was a short term maybe idea that like he was going to misdirect me from the news that was actually happening. But again, I, I, I think it's short term. And at that point, I had to make a decision. Um, I had to decide whether or not I want to keep this relationship with coach Taggart or report the things that are actually happening and report the things that I want to write about and, 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 and shine a light on some things that maybe aren't going as planned and kind of tell the story of guys like this is what is happening. And my stance at that point, and I took a lot of heat for this because whenever I was asked, um, my answer would be uh, whether or not Coach Taggart was the man for the job. And I would just say, you know, it's only been a year, but based on what I've seen, I don't believe Coach Taggart, I don't believe he, uh, Willie Taggart is the is the man for the job. I don't think he's going to turn this program around. People would say, oh, do you think he should be fine? I said, no, I think he deserves his time and I can't predict what's going to happen over the next two years. But based on what I've seen from these 12 months, I do not think he's the man for the job. And of course, at that point, you know, I was painted as like I was bad for the program and I was negative and and everything. But of course, here we are now. Everything that I was saying was kind of just premature. Uh, Everybody else ended up jumping on that bandwagon. I shouldn't say a bandwagon because it was just what was happening. So other people started seeing it after that, I guess. Two subplots to add to this time period. We're basically talking about February of 2019 at this point. One, Greg Fry has no clue he's about to get, you know, shipped out. <laughs> like, he, he's sitting there, and he does not get that it's happening. We would ask him routinely, and he didn't know if he was going to change jobs. He didn't know if he was going to lose his job. He had no clue. In all there fairness, he, he probably should have an idea, like, that it was happening. But regardless, it was not a but great think, situation to be in. To do the lack of communication that was occur- occurring in that building in an effective manner. There was no direct communication. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever in that program under Willie Taggart was done with a direct manner. We have a plan of a quarterback, but there was not a direct manner of that plan. Just it's a further example of that. The other fun subplot of this time is we're rolling into junior days, a commitment of a guy like Jeff Sims happens coming off a of signing day. That's underwhelming. 
They're trying to play the transfer portal. We're wondering how effective they're going to be at that. Obviously, quarterback's a big piece of that transfer portal, but they needed other pieces. O-line's a good example. Did get a guy like Ryan Roberts. So there's that stuff going on. So in February of that year, that's kind of where we're at. But at this point, the relationship had just deteriorated. There was not a good relationship between Willie Taylor and the media as a whole, and specifically North 24-7. Yeah, and I don't think it was just us, but and that's what I want to get to too. It's like this was all frustrating, as Chris said. Like it was, uh, you know, we felt lied to and burned. Uh, but then you also try to be objective and do your job. Still, to me though, it's like him not being able to understand that like Josh is still going to be able to get news. I'm still going to be able to gather and get news through other sources. That Chris is going to be able to still confirm things with other people within the program and to to mislead uh just sh- again shows short-sightedness which is something that was evident in the previous offseason and even during the season. Uh it showed I think Josh's analogy of of water going to the boat and him just trying to get out out with a bucket is 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 a good one. Uh it just there wasn't a lot of organization to what he was trying to accomplish behind the scenes, or if there was a plan, it just, it wasn't getting executed in a way that was effective. Uh, you need and further that, proof of that? David Kelly. Yeah. When was, what was the timeline for that? I mean, that whole thing, Chris, if you want to share that real that quick, was up was, until, that was from the postseason until when Dugans was hired and the Dugans yeah. hire took a while. Uh, it went well into January, I believe. I want to talk about, and I mean, there's other things too. There's the Jordan, Jordan Travis transfer and how long it took that waiver uh, to happen. And I guess some of that's like out of your hands if you're Florida State, but, and they ended up getting the waiver anyways. Uh, but, but that just takes uh, an ungodly long amount of time. And I was told like that, that, you know, that wasn't applied for for a little while, like until I think the spring or so. Uh, from my understanding. So that was something that wasn't done right away. And those couple extra months, like you went into camp without knowing uh, if he was going to, to have a waiver. I remember I was at a uh, jury duty when we found out that Jordan Travis was going to have a waiver uh, right before they went down to IMG the second time. We'll get into that. Uh, but we're still, we're still in the off season of 2019 here and we're going into uh, spring practice. And there are a couple of things I want to talk about here that, uh, you know, I mentioned in the last one when I'm looking at crystal, uh, crystallizing moments for me covering this program that uh, I realized that Willie probably isn't the guy that and I think a lot of people point to Virginia Tech game for me where I was willing to like not excuse it anymore. I was like, man, this is rough. I don't see how he's getting out of this. The first one was the Notre Dame game. The second one was the spring game and the recruiting efforts during the spring game. Now, I don't help cover recruiting. Uh, well, I help out a little bit. I don't cover it full time like you guys do, uh, but I can see <laughs> disorganization pretty quickly. And you know, I got there. You, you guys, and Zach were already at the uh, outside of Doak, and I got there, and it was chaos. Uh, which one of you wants to paint the picture of what's going on at the spring game? Because to me, Chris. this is a Chris. Go ahead. Because to, to me, this is. Uh, supposed to be you know, Willie Taggart's strength is recruiting. And if he's going to fix the program, it's got to be done on the recruiting trail. What I saw that day to me was so disturbing. Uh, that's when I was more or less wiping my hands of it. Like, man, he ain't going to get it done here. And about a 10 minute stretch, I had a four star sitting on the bench outside a locked door that when a recruiting assistant, not like someone on a heavy payroll, but someone who helps come out and had no clue who that person was. You have, 
numerous kids texting me, Zach, and others of where the hell do I park? You have kids walking along the side of Stadium Drive near Pensacola to get there. Yeah, it was the road. the Auburn offensive lineman, uh, yeah. Tate. Tate, what's? You, I mean, it is just mind blowing how dysfunctional a major recruiting event was in a singular moment of like, you know, I watched some staffs, Jimbo staff and Mike Norvell staff to this point in time. The, the trains roll on time. They know kids getting there at 9 a.m. They roll in at 9.04 a.m. There's a welcoming committee at the door. Everybody knows the kid's name. They know mom. They know dad. They walk them in. They get the paperwork done. They get the name tag on. They start the tours. They're on the golf cart at 10 a.m. when they're supposed to be with Willie Taggart and recruits rolling in. Holy hell. It was like Black Friday at Best Buy with a $10 PlayStation. Everybody was just trying to kick down the doors. They were locked. Nobody knew what was going on, and nothing operated correctly. It was horrible. It, it was pathetic. To put it plain and simple, it was pathetic. You know a kid like Isaiah Wynn who's sitting on a bench. Not Isaiah Wynn, I'm sorry. That's a former Georgia lineman. Uh, the young man that went to Florida from South Florida, from New Orleans, the offensive lineman. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah Walker. Thank you, Isaiah Walker. Sitting on the bench, waiting. Waiting, waiting. You need offensive linemen desperately bad. You know you're recruiting against at least Miami and Florida for this kid, as well as other regional major schools. And it's just not the kind of visit. It doesn't start the way a visit's supposed to start. It was unorganized through and through. It was unbelievable. And at this point, David Kelly was supposed to be essentially their on-campus recruiting coordinator. The fact that something like that was allowed was a fireable offense. And that gets me to a greater point with DK that we'll get to a little bit later, I'm sure. But it, it wasn't operating the way it was supposed to operate. It just was awful. And people noticed it. Amarius Mims people made mention of it. Of He enjoyed the visit, but man, it was unorganized. I remember that being a comment made to us after and afterwards. And you're talking about a kid who's a five-star and that's the following class. It just you can't do that. You can't operate in that manner. You're too big of a school who's recruiting at too premier of a level to give any wiggle room versus the opponents you're recruiting against, the Clemsons, the Georgias, the Alabamas. You cannot afford to do that. And FSU was embarrassingly bad at it that day. And that was just a grand example of other embarrassing moments they had when it came to recruiting. We had heard that there was disorganization during recruiting events, but I don't think any of us saw it in motion until that day, to, to that extent. It was overwhelming how disorganized it was. Yeah, and it, it was bad. It was bad. So so around the same time, uh, I guess earlier in the spring, but this is worth noting, Josh, I'm going to kick this to you. Uh, it's FSU kind of tepidly going into a uh, a 3-4 defense, and obviously it becomes a full-on transition with, with Jim Levitt coming in at some point in the offseason to help coach it up. Uh, and, and then joining the staff in a shadow role as a mm-hmm. not defensive coordinator. But uh, that was something that you got a little bit of a whiff, I think in hindsight to really what, how that whole dynamic played. but Harlan Barnett's basically asked to coach a defense that he has no experience coaching. Yeah. And the whole Jim Levitt thing was kind of nasty because Levitt obviously wanted a job. I mean, Levitt wants to call the defense and everybody knows that, especially Willie Taggart. And they needed him. They needed his knowledge because they were switching to this three-four that wasn't exactly in Harnett, Harlan Barnett's bag. And 
you know, they wanted to bring him in over the summer, which would have made a whole lot of sense because he could have been an off-field analyst and helping and, and doing the transition. But, you know, everybody has their their own motives. And, and Jim Levitt was still holding out hope that he was going to get a, a defensive coordinator job somewhere, or get on the field somewhere, whether you know, maybe even join an NFL program. So he was dragging his feet, didn't want to join the FSU program during the summer. So he came up, I think, two different times that I know of at least and kind of helped out. And I was told it was kind of a weird vibe. <laughs> you know, nobody knew how weird it was going to get because then he joined the team three games in. And at that point it was wildly obvious that he was brought in to replace Harwood Barnett. Um, I was told on good authority that that was going to happen. So if I knew it was going to happen, other people closer to the program knew it was going to happen. And I was told it was just really weird to have somebody sitting in your meeting room. And if you're Harwin Barnett, knowing that this person's going to take your job next season. So just added to the, to the awkward dynamic of things. I was yeah. told that, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. Harlan was about the nicest human being on that staff. He was a good man, but man, he was never made for a three, four and he knew it. And when you would speak to him about the three, four, it was sort of like, uh, well, it's what Willie wants to run or it's what we're going to try to do or it's the pieces we're trying to fit. But it wasn't his thing. It wasn't his language. He's a man that speaks four, three, straightforward, physical defense. Basically, what you saw in the Sun Bowl is what he would like to operate with. And it was clear as day that if that was the way they were transitioning. And at one point, it was laid out as elements of a three, four to us. And then by the time the season rolled around, it was pretty clear that we're going to run a three, four. When, when, um, when coaches were telling recruits openly that we're playing yeah, three, four defense yeah. too. Yeah. We're recruiting you because you fit perfectly into the outside part of our scheme in the three, four attack. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I don't know. It, the dysfunction was so rife in every which way that at some point I think I started tuning it out because I was just tired of dealing with it. It didn't make sense for it to bug me. I knew that it wasn't going to last forever, but the the defense and the whole idea of we're going to have a guy coach defense who has no interest in coaching what the defense is, nor real experience in doing so, was dumb. Like, fire him and hire somebody who can run it if that's what you think you need to do. This isn't a long-term situation. I know going into year two, most of us thought he would get at least through year three from a financial standpoint. But he screwed up so poorly, he didn't get to year three. Hell, he didn't finish year two because he screwed up so poorly. But in the real time progression of his time at this program, he didn't do anything to prevent himself from screwing up so royally. He misstep after misstep after misstep piled up. And that's why he got fired so quickly into his tenure. here. And, and this wasn't like Harlan Barnett was open. Well, I don't know this directly, but I, I was told that Willie Taggart basically went into to the meeting room one day and told Harlan we're running a three four defense and start learning to to adjust it and have a plan to to transition and that's how it went. And again, like Chris said, that's a a guy, and and this trickles over to other things too, like like Jaden Lars Woodby, for example, uh, is basically asked to play middle linebacker in the system, which uh, there's some. Uh, there's rationale and reason behind it, but I was told that like Jaden, that Jaden, that Woody, that sorry, that, that Willie Taggart told Jaden Lars would be, if you don't move to this position, that's, that's you being selfish and not doing it for the betterment of the team. And, and look how awful and uncomfortable he was in that role when he was really good playing outside previously. So, so there's all these moving parts on defense now that just aren't fitting 
from personnel and from a coach who isn't comfortable coaching that scheme. And it's based on Willie Taggart's vision for what he wants. Uh, and he starts even like after the spring starts micromanaging the defense to where he's coaching defensive back drills at times and talking over Harlan Barnett players aren't sure what coach to listen to. Like it's chaotic. It's not how things are run normally at most college football programs. It, it was another example of things spiraling out of control uh, during the time. And in, in this offseason, as we kind of get into the, into the summer, I know for me, like behind the scenes, like there were weird elements of uh, there's an example of like coaches trying to dig dirt on other coaches and, and reaching out to me to try to figure out like whether a coach told me something it, it, that was weird. I've never had that happen before or since then that, that was a strange deal. So you can feel tension starting to kind of emerge within that coaching staff. I know Chris dealt with this all the time with the coaching staff, like guys wanting credit for who's recruiting someone and whose names on someone. Uh, we have the bounce house deal, which is just more optics, but the whole summer recruiting circuit, Josh, remember you wrote about like how few offensive linemen were there. Yeah. On people got mad at me because I was saying that my point was it wasn't that don't, don't, don't worry don't about have, people getting, don't worry, Josh, about people yeah, getting but, mad at know, us. My, at, my, at this you, point. you basically called June a waste of time. And it's yes, fair to it call was, that. if you're going to be on the field, that was my point. Just don't hold the camps. If y'all don't want to hold camps, but if you're going to be on the field, and you're going to have coaches out there day after day after day. You might as well get some talent on there. And if you don't, if you don't care about twenty, what was it, twenty nineteen or twenty twenty nineteen? If you don't care about the twenty nineteen kids, get twenty twenty and twenty twenty one kids on campus and work them out. And it just seemed like nobody really knew why they were out there. I didn't even cover the big man camp in June. That's how bad the talent was going to be there. I, I think I, Caressa went to something out of town, in fact. And maybe and that's why I was – I think you were at a wedding or something that you like had to be out of town for. But I think that's why I was so frustrated because I'm like I've been on this field before. I've stood in these in, in this exact spot in this heat and I've seen talent that matched the opening, you know, that rivaled some of the best all-star camps that I've ever been to on this field. And there was no reason for those for there to be no talent on the field. There was just no reason for it. Josh and I, I went to help out, and I remember we went over to a an offensive lineman, like a FSU offensive lineman, who was helping out with the the camp aspect of things. And Josh asked him, "Are there any guys who can play here?" His response was, "Uh, there you go. Yeah, at, a, you, at uh, the biggest position yeah, of need." At the biggest position of need on the roster. Um, so the writing's kind of on the wall at, at, at this point, and really everything is getting boiled down to the the 2019 season. I think so much, you know, Chris talked about this before, of Willie Taggart's tenure at not just Florida State, other places too, is momentum-based, and everything he's trying to do is to build momentum. And that's a great thing about momentum is when you have it, like it's, it's awesome and you can't do anything wrong and – and everything just feels right. And then when you don't, though, you're drowning. And, and that's what we're starting to see. Uh, starting to wrap up this podcast because I want to do our final one on the the What Went Wrong With Willie series on what was the end, the, the 2019 football season. But uh, the last thing I'll leave us with is as fall camp starting. Uh, Chris, do you remember they went to IMG the second time? How, oh boy, how much? I remember it how much different the vibe was in year two versus year one going down there. There was a whole lot of just going through the motions down there. 
That, yes. That's the first thing I remember. It's, the other thing is the third day of media availability got wiped out by a little bit of rain, which made it real worthwhile for everyone that put their car and their ass in a car for several hours ago. We, we, almost, I, we almost died driving down there. That was the biggest storm I've ever oh driven God, through yeah. before. That was a horrible storm. Gainesville area was really, really bad. Or Fort White, Gainesville. Yeah. There was, like, there was like lightning. It was kind of foreshadowing. Uh, there was like yeah, lightning like, striking on both sides of us in a way that was very palpable. One of the loudest booms I've ever heard in a car. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a lot of guys just very much going through the motion and a lot of guys that looked really out of shape. There were the a rain, lot of guys that struggled a lot with any heat or humidity out there. The rain was bad every single day and it ended up postponing, I think almost every single practice and they ended up cutting the, sh- the trip short, I believe. Um, but at one point I was told a, a player uh, this was an earshot of, of media. I didn't hear it myself, but it was as they were canceling because Thunder was coming in. I think it was the second day, and this was the second time they had a rain delay. The player starts going to a uh, to manager. He's like, so, he's like, we drove all the way down here four hours to stay here at a field that doesn't have an in- or to, at, at a facility that doesn't have an indoor practice facility, and we could have stayed up in Tallahassee and saved the trip and played at a place that had an indoor practice facility and not worry about the thunder and lightning. You're getting an idea here of players starting to check out. Uh, and as we're going through camp, the consistent messaging that Chris and I kept hearing, do you remember this, Chris, about the Boise state game? The, 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 the expectation. Yes. It was being built as a super bowl. Think about that. A, uh, <laughs> A game against a group of five, a good one, but a group of five opponent being billed as a Super Bowl. There was so much being placed into this one game. Again, momentum and, and the quest to, to find it. And that's where I'll leave us with this podcast is is FSU's entering its its Super Bowl and what's really very much so a make or break game for Willie Taggart. So I'm going to wrap this podcast up. We are going to uh, to be back tomorrow with our final episode. Thanks for listening to this one. For Josh and Chris, I'm Brendan Sinone. Uh, this is On the Bench, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>